Hello and welcome to this special edition of Stunt Mike, where we'll look ahead to the Big Bash season, which starts down here in Australia in just a few days' time. I'm Andrew McGlash, and I have a stellar cast joining me today. I have Alex Malcolm and Tristan Lavaletti from with me here in Australia, and then special guest Gaurav Sundaraman, our stats wizard from India, is on to give us his all his insight and knowledge on the finer details of T20. So thank you all for joining me uh, for this chat. We'll get straight into it, and I'll just start with a quite slightly wide open question which I think I'll throw to each of you in turn Alex I'll, I'll come to you first and um, this time of the year people start to I guess navel gaze a little bit about the big bash and kind of where it sits what it means and um, just what are you hoping to see from this big bash season and maybe what conversely are you expecting to see from this big bash season I'm not sure what I'm hoping to see I'm expecting that there won't be that much knowledge that it's taking place in the early parts of December, to be honest. So this is one of the earliest starts to a Big Bash season that I can remember having covered it since its inception. I think it will sneak up on a lot of people and a lot of people will be surprised that it's starting before the first test. That's never happened before, I think, in the, in the entire history of the competition, which is interesting when you look at it coming off the back of a World Cup win for Australia, whether that will generate any um, real interest in the competition. But I know talking to a few of the clubs so far about ticket sales, it's been hard going early on for them. So I think this competition is going to sneak up on a lot of people. I think it might sort of gather some momentum and hopefully some really good performances will help with that. Um, I'm a bit worried about the, the overseas talent pool across the board, and I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. But for me, the thing I'm most interested in is whether there's a couple of guys who can stand up from an Australian perspective to push their way into next year's World Cup squad. Guys like Philippi, Inglis, Tim David, Nathan Ellis, maybe an Ashton Turner in that particular finishing role. Um, It'll be interesting to see what those guys can do, given now the bar has been set so high by the Australian World Cup winning side. Uh, Tristan, I'll come uh, to you next, and I'll sort of officially welcome you to the Crick Info family for the next uh, three or four months. It's good to have you on board, especially out there in the West in Perth, which looks like it's going to be pretty difficult for the rest of us to get to for a few more months <laughs> at least yet. Uh, but as I say, you are based there in Western Australia, the original powerhouse um, location of the Big Bash, really. The Perth Scorchers were the first, I suppose, team to create a legacy in this tournament. They've had a slightly leaner run in the last few years, but just more generally, um, what what are your expectations for this Big Bash season? Are you a... Do you see a scorcher side that, that can that can get back to winning ways um, and just sort of a what's the sort of vibe out west at the moment with a an area of the country that's um, in terms of linking it to the rest of us has, has got its problems? How, how's the mm-hmm. how, how's sort of the build of the big bash going? Is it like Alex said? Is it is it a bit of a a quiet a quiet thing mm-hmm. at the moment? Are people aware the big bash is starting? Well, firstly, uh, thanks for the introduction. Um, <laughs> it's good to be here. Um, yeah, unfortunately, like what Alex said, there hasn't really been much build-up at all, quite worryingly. Um, the Scorchers are traditionally a pretty big part of the, the summer fabric here in, in WA, so they do mean a lot to to the community and well-supported. And like you said, they've had a, a long run of success here in, in the competition from the start, basically. Um, but it's just, like Alex says, has really crept up upon everyone really quickly. And I think um, a lot of people are surprised it's coming around. So, you know, start of December, um, it's not something we're used to. It's more sort of late, you know, getting into that Christmas, um, you know, Christmas holiday period um, when it really starts heating up in Perth. At the moment, it's actually quite mild, the weather. So it doesn't really feel like... Um, please, qualify, uh, p- please qualify mild, Tristan, for those of us who have come from the UK to Australia. Have, have all been here for three years, but please qualify mild. Today is 29 degrees. So. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I, that, that, that's me starting to perspire and keel over sort of weather. So, yeah, okay. Mild Perth day at 29 degrees. Well, the average, the average Perth day for a test match is usually about 40 degrees. So I, I have well, done a couple of those. Yeah. I, I remember the New Zealand test. I think you were at it as well a couple of years ago. That was a, a stinker for a few days. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but, no, the feeling amongst the, the team is, I guess, like last year, expect the unexpected. I mean... Got no idea how many games are going to be played here in Perth. It looks like the first game on December 8 against the Heat is going ahead, but who knows? Um, we've obviously got the strictest um, border controls in the country. Um, I won't get into any 
political um, analysis on that, but um, it's it's meant it's uh, very tricky to get out in and out. And obviously, with a new variant around, it's, it's thrown a bit of a spanner in the works. So there's you know fears that the scorches could be on the road for for a long time after after the eighth. I mean, they're scheduled to come back to Perth on the twentieth against uh, the Hurricanes, but who knows? I mean, they might not come back. Uh, last year was very chaotic. They only played, I think, four games uh, here in Perth. So um, I think it's going to be a tough season for them, but they seem to to be um, kind of prepared for that. And there seems to be a quite confidence building amongst the team. I mean, they, they went through a lot last year. I think they nearly got stuck in Canberra at one point. So um, it can't be as bad as that, surely. So um, I, think they're well prepared. I think they're well prepared. And I think they're going to be... Um, challenges it might be I think they'll be up there and Gaurav I'll come to you now and maybe ask you to to briefly to start with put your sort of stats and analytical hat on what would you like to see from the BBL uh, this season and just maybe give us a view from someone who watches so many of the T20 leagues and has worked in a number of them around the world where do you currently see the big bash sitting Uh, hi guys good to be here uh, for starters, uh, one thing I, I used to focus a lot on watching the Big Bash was who is going to be the Australia's finisher, uh, who's going to be Australia's uh, uh, next big thing from T20 cricket, how are they going to manage to win a World Cup, and bam, this time around, none of those even value, none of them even matter, because, you know, on a World Cup, which I don't think any of us expected them to, so uh, they've caught us by surprise and now I don't know really what to look forward to and it's going to be so hard to defend a a World T20 title nobody's done it and generally the format is like that right so uh, but what's exciting guys is it's going to be a home uh, World Cup and that's always going to be uh, a lot of pressure for the Aussie uh, players. A lot of players would want to feature in that squad, and uh, the and the turnaround time is hardly uh, a few months. So that is a big, big change. So again, going back to the fundamentals of T20 in terms of identifying the right guys for the right roles, I still believe in that. Although Australia proved all of us wrong <laughs> uh, uh, this time, but I still think for long-term success, that is very essential. Uh, what I'm looking forward to is trying to see more young young talent coming out. I think that's been missing in uh, Australia for quite some time. We've seen guys, uh, uh, a lot of people just showing promise, but nobody really making it to the big stage. We're always uh, uh, seeing Australia going back to the uh, experienced uh, uh, guys. So I want to see a lot of youngsters doing well. Uh, that's going to be key. Uh, because uh, one thing, let me tell you, all other teams, all other countries would be watching the Big Bash a lot more uh, intensely this time from a preparation point of view for the next World Cup. Most of the trends would be picked up from this tournament. And uh, so it could play a big role in influencing how uh, uh, certain teams go about picking their squad for the World Cup. So I think that's going to be important. Uh, just trying to see what kind of trends come out, uh, what are the how the venues, we know what the venues are and how they are going to shape up. So. Yeah, I'm basically looking forward to see a lot of youngsters coming through. I, I really like the likes of Ollie Davis last time. Uh, I really hope he comes through. He was very impressive, but we haven't heard much about him after that. So we need to see more Australians being uh, picked up in other leagues. That's kind of gone down a bit, Nasher. And even if you see the, uh, I think this is the first time we saw what only Maxwell being retained in the IPL. So all that needs to change. England have kind of dominated T20 for some time. And I would like to see Australia take over now that they won that uh, uh, World Cup. Um, some really interesting points there, Gore. I just want to go back to Alex with one of them, and it was a question I was going to ask in a couple of questions' time, but it feels a natural point now, and it is just on Australia winning that T20 World Cup, and it does feel like Gore feels almost like resigning from his position after <laughs> Australia managed to do it with a middle order of Marcus Stoinis and Matthew Wade. I did remember sending him a message the morning after that, I think it was after the semi-final, actually, where Matthew Wade got them home, and I said, is this the sort of day go have you feel like just turning away and giving it all up and you kind of said yeah sometimes but Alex I, I did on a slightly more serious level I mean I did touch on it in the intro does it sh- should a, should an Australia's World Cup win change the perception of the BBL and does it matter really how a league like this is perceived is is the be all end all producing players in international cricket or because of the way the BBL is structured when it's played what what, what the marketing people want what it's there for are correlating the two not really the right way to, to sort of go about it with the BBL? I think Alistair Dobson, the 
head of the Big Bash will feel justified, Nasher, after a couple of years ago saying that the BBL wasn't there to serve the Australian cricket team and filter players into the Australian cricket team and prepare them for international T20 cricket, much to the dismay of Justin Langer and Australia's coaching staff and their selectors. Um, but they proved unequivocally that the Big Bash didn't need to be there to prepare players for the World Cup title. So um, from that perspective, I think it's pretty clear that the BBL can continue to march on as a, a big marketing product, trying to get into the youngsters around the country and and really engage young cricket fans that way. And, and they're happy to continue with their rules experiments. It is odd that Australia's premier T20 competition um, doesn't follow the same set of rules that are played at a World Cup. We don't have a six-over power play. We've got this power surge. There is a sub um, that's involved. So it's, it, it is all a bit bizarre. But one thing I have, I have learned in the last couple of weeks is that um, ticket sales and interest in purchasing tickets and getting on um, ticket lists for next year's T20 World Cup has gone through the roof since Australia won the to- tournament in the UAE. So it'll be interesting to see whether the two things marry up in terms of interest in the big bash. But I mean, one of the strange things is, um, you know, Warner, Smith, Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark, particularly Warner and Hazelwood and Cummins and Stark to a lesser extent, as well as Smith, um, aren't going to play in the big bash. Uh, And Cameron Green doesn't have a big bash contract. So there is a sort of, I don't know, separation of church and state, I suppose, on, on those things. And Australia fans don't get to see some of their best players play in the Big Bash because of test duty. That remains the ongoing challenge for the Big Bash and probably will forever because you can't see how the two can really be divorced because Australia's prime test window is, as we're going to have over the next two months with the Ashes, is December, January, and they naturally want to play the Big Bash in that window. We've obviously talked internally between ourselves sometimes as well. Well, the one solution is to trim down the BBL. Generally, with these leagues, once they expand, they are never going to contract. We obviously know... The IPL is about to get even bigger than it already is. So I suspect this is only a one-way thing with that, and it's just going to have to be the way that they accommodate it going forward. I just want to go back to a couple of the things, actually a couple of things that Tristan sort of touched on when he was talking about scorchers there, just on a couple of the other potential challenges for the season. So the scheduling is the issue every summer. Um, the scorchers have some specific challenges. I guess there's the general COVID uncertainty as well. We don't know what this new variant's going to do with internal borders. Just the other one I wanted to pick up on as well is is again another year without DRS. Um, and I might I might throw this just back to Gaurav uh, for a moment again, partly as global view about leagues. Um, are, are you are you now feeling that the major T20 leagues should have DRS, Gaurav? I think DRS has to be uh, uh, there because it becomes a talking point uh, uh, if it's not there. Unless uh, the attention moves away, right? Uh, if there's a bad decision and if, if there, there there might be games where there's really a lot of bad decisions. You don't want to see that. Um, it could make or break careers. I believe that now that technology has come in, it's very, very important. And nobody's going to remember these howlers, uh, uh, say, six months down the line. So it's very important that DRS is there, at least for the howlers. It's just small, young careers, uh, Nasher, nothing else. I think when you have that technology, it's not that uh, Australia can't invest on it. Uh, we've seen that with uh, the slightly uh, lesser finance nations. Australia don't have those kind of problems. I think uh, DRS uh, is an absolute must. I will just have the caveat there before I get any angry phone calls from the CA mm. comms team, whom I'm sure will listen to this podcast when it goes up, that they were hoping to have it this season. Part of it is logistical yeah. challenges with border crossings, all the equipment you need uh, for DRS. But I, I still do get the feeling that they've cooled on it again, which is an interesting, even when the world is normal again uh, for the future. But yeah, it'd be interesting to keep tabs on that one. And just one more before we go into the team by team, and I'll come back to you, Tristan, for this, because kind of the Perth Scorchers are the, are the sort of the, the most glaring example of this, because they have three players who literally aren't going to meet their teammates until they get onto the field almost for their first game. And, Colin Monroe, uh, Laurie Evans and Curtis Patterson, who are flying from yeah. here in Sydney, literally have to have their own mini quarantine, I believe. And they're, they're then going to sort of play a game. And then, I mean, how it, how it all works with close contacts, goodness knows. If there is, heaven forbid, one case somewhere, then this whole thing feels like it's a pack of cards waiting to yeah. fall down. But just on a just on a broader on a broader sense, it sort of goes back to what Alex was saying about overseas players part of it this season is obviously it's still an issue to get players in here they don't want to quarantine but do you think more broadly 
um, the league does need to do more in the years to come when the world is what we might call normal again to to get some of these more A-listers back in. It's not a one-off that the overseas players feel a bit lightweight in, in the BBL. Do you think there's do you think that's something the tournament does need to look at? Yeah, it just does feel very light on on star power, I think. And now we're seeing emergence of um, the T10 in Abu Dhabi. I mean, that's attracting some big names and that's going to be a bit of a threat moving forward. Um, I think the UAE have um, announced a, a T20 league of their own, which and is... And the 1990 think... league, I was reading. 90 <laughs> balls or something. I mean, yeah, gee, um, yes, let's, let's <laughs> move on from that. But yes, uh, a lot of competing leagues, yes. Yeah, and that's, I think that's in February, which might encroach in the future in the BBL as well. So there's a lot of competition and, and really to um, continue to, to gauge interest, not just in Australia, but worldwide will be to attract some big names. And it just does feel at the moment that it might just be all too difficult for some of the big names to come here. Um, now, hopefully in 12 months' time, the situation is a little bit easier, but we just never know. In 12 months ago, we thought... Things would probably be, be a lot different, but uh, here we are stuck in the Perth. So, yeah, so, it, <laughs> so uh... it certainly does feel like we're having a lot of same conversations we were having last yeah. December when um, I remember having to cancel an interstate trip. Um, and I'm nervously waiting to have to cancel my trip to Adelaide with the developments <laughs> of the last uh, few days. Um, let's move on to the team by team now because we do have eight sides to get through. Uh, we'll start We'll start with defending champions, um, Sydney Sixers. There is no alphabetical orders of this I've basically just listed them on my screen and we'll go through them in in this order but we'll start with the Sixers uh, like I say d- defending champs going for a hat trick of titles I guess the one thing that jumps out for the Sixers is a settled list they, they've made very few changes if anything you could argue with Tom Curran back again after missing last year and Chris Jordan signed as Carlos Brathwaite's replacement you could argue they're stronger and um, Gaurav I'll, I'll come to you first on this one I mean how important um, and how rare is it to have such a settled list that sort of Sydney Sixers have been able to put together over the last couple of years? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's been like a mantra for success across uh, uh, leagues, you would think, right? Uh, there's just everybody knows their roles, everybody knows about how to go about doing doing what they're doing, and that that's kind of works. So I think Sixers have followed a simple um, uh, strategy there, and. Uh, and they have a lot of mix of experiences as well. You know, they're guys who have been playing for a very, very long time. And uh, any team that uh, has that kind of experience, uh, it helps. And, and hey, they have Dan Christian. And that's like, <laughs> that's good enough to win a hat-trick of titles. Uh, that's just the main uh, person you want to recruit always if you want to win titles. So, um, uh, yeah, but... Having said that, uh, uh, like you rightly mentioned, Tom Curran uh, comes back. Uh, he's very uh, useful, uh, especially in Australia. He's shown uh, uh, he can do well, very well with the bat as well, uh, which uh, he's not done so much uh, for uh, England and other franchises. So, um, yeah, I think settled unit is uh, is very, very good. But whether they are going to uh, win again, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of luck involved, etc. But I think... Uh, um, the fact that they have a very, very experienced and uh, players always uh, bodes well for Sixers. Um, Alex, I'll, I'll just bring you in as well, just to pick up on one sort of strength um, of the Sixers. It's the opening pair of Philippe, who you mentioned in your first answer, and James Vince, who finished last season with a, uh, a brace of 90s. And if it hadn't been for Andrew Ty, we probably would have got a, a century. But I mean, Philippe Vince, is it, that's a powerhouse Um opening T20 pair, isn't it? Whichever way you look at it. Yeah, it certainly is. And if we know one thing about the BBL and T20 cricket in Australian conditions, you need an outstanding opening pair to set a platform for you. Um, And they've got that. But I think they've also got a lot of balance through the middle order as well. Uh, Jordan Silk's been in outstanding form this year down in Tasmania. And Mm. he continues to go from strength to strength. And he had a sensational year last year, particularly batting in the surge. I think Moses Enriquez has a point to prove after being left out of the test side. And he would be pretty frustrated with what happened in the second half of the IPL, I think, for Punjab Kings. So they've got plenty of balance. And you mentioned getting better. The one area I think, and I'd be curious um, on your thoughts here, Nasha, was probably their surge bowling last year. I remember we did a piece late in the season last year. That was their one weakness. And taking Brathwaite out and putting Jordan in um, to potentially bowl at least one of those overs, plus Curran, I mean, that, that is a really, really big improvement. Yeah, I mean, if you look when they have everybody available and they are going to miss Sean Abbott for the first um, two or three games, which has gone down like a lead balloon, really, with the Sixers, given mm. that he's only in the Australia A squad. But when you think that they're like, 
they'll be able to pick Sean Abbott, Tom Curran, Ben Dwarshus when he's fit again, their leading wicket taker last year, um, and 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 Chris Jordan. That's four bowlers who are excellent at any phase of the game, really. I mean, yeah. I'm not I don't know the exact numbers, and I'm sure I'd be called out by Gorab for saying something so broad brush stroke as that, but it does feel as though there's lots of interchangeable bowlers there to get through those those pressure periods and whether they can whether the balance of the side actually allows them to play all four at once. I mean, um three of them hold the bat pretty well. So you'd think they'll be able to get all in the same eleven. But that that's where I was saying before that it kind of feels um, that they almost have more options, particularly in that fast bowling rank than they did um 12 months ago. So it will be fascinating. I mean hat tricks of titles in any leagues obviously um like hen's teeth. So um it's going to be fascinating to see whether um the Sixers can go um three from three. We'll Jump into their crosstown rivals next, um, Sydney Thunder. Recent improvements over the last couple of seasons. They've got into the knockouts, um, having really bothered a year. They won it, have having had a fairly underwhelming BBL record. A um, couple of players I just want to pick out. Um, one of the most talked about young players in the Australian moment is Tanvir Sanger, uh, the young leg spinner. I know Gorav mentioned him um, uh, an answer ago. Uh, I mean... Uh, Alex, just a very exciting, attacking young leg spinner who, from a very small sample size, I admit, I was watching a bit in the Shield last week and in the Marsh Cup, does seem to have that skill that he he transfers things well between formats. And obviously, it's now going to be two months of T20 cricket, but he does seem to be a bowler with um, a really good head on his shoulders. Yeah, there's lots of people talking very excitedly about Tanvir Sanger around Australian cricket at the moment. I guess the, the question is um, developing him in all forms of the game, uh, given how young he is. He hasn't bought a lot of, um, hasn't played a lot of four-day games, I should say. Uh, that was one thing that, that is a, a concern for the New South Wales hierarchy. But yeah, he was fantastic for the Thunder last year. I think having a captain like Usman Khawaja um, to manage him, if Usman's going to play, that, that'll be really important. So whoever captains the Thunder... Um, in Usman's absence, is going to have a, a pretty key job to manage him and use him at the right times and have him uh, have the right support in terms of fields, bowling to the right matchups, all of those types of things. But he's certainly an exciting player to watch and one that the Australian hierarchy in terms of T20 cricket are really looking at closely. Worth saying, I saw Sam Billings looked in terrific form today when I was down at the SCG earlier, smacked 90 or 45 balls in the warm up against the Sixers. There was a short boundary, but gee, he was clearing it, whether it was a short boundary or long boundaries. I mean, he looks in, in great nick, but Gore, I'm just going to come to you because we have touched on the general malaise feeling about overseas signings in the BBL, but the three that Thunder have, uh, Alex Hale, Sam Billings and Saqib Mahmood, who had a terrific summer for England in their home summer, that feels like a really, that feels like a pretty solid trio of overseas signings. Would you say that's fair comment? Yeah, and, and Hales is not someone new, right? He's been there kind of the main player in the power play. And uh, when you look at the stats from last season, they, their batting was uh, simply amazing. The strikers at which they went uh, were the highest in the league. So uh, I think the, if at all there's a weakness, it's their bowling, which is a weakness. And uh, that's 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 kind of going to kind of decide whether they make it all the way or not. And generally in leagues, Nasher, the better bowling team usually are more consistent and they make it to the playoffs, uh, which I think is going to be Thunder's uh, biggest problem because their batting seems totally sorted. And I'm not sure about Sakib as such, you know, coming into Australia, coming and playing these uh, leagues is going to give him a lot of experience, but uh, uh, su- succeeding in Australia is not that easy. And we haven't seen too many overseas bowlers just come in and uh, create such a big impact whereas we've seen a lot of batters do that. So uh, I'm curious to see how he goes, but uh, they need to get their bowling uh, sorted if they want to really uh, challenge the other teams uh, uh, for the title. But their batting, uh, like you uh, rightly mentioned, is very, very impressive. Uh, Tristan, just one final thought on the Thunder before we move on. Alex did Alex mentioned the questionable availability of Usman Kawaja. We obviously don't know the final Australia 11 yet uh, but you'd imagine even if he doesn't play he might stay around the squad I mean losing a batter like Kawaja and captain that feels like a pretty big hole for Thunder to fill and whether whether it, it's too big a hole might be one of the questions for them this season well they might have just answered it today because I think they've uh, signed Sam Whiteman so from a uh, three-time champ at the Scorchers so he's probably uh, expected to fill some pretty big shoes because Obviously, Kawaja and, and Hales at the top there. I mean, they're such a pretty devastating combination when they're going. 
Um, so, yeah, I think they might be bracing themselves that Kawaja could be unavailable for, for the length of most of the tournament. So I think Sam Whiteman could be a pretty good um, good replacement, really. He's certainly been in some decent nick in, in, in the other forms of cricket that's been played so far this season. We'll, we'll move on to the other city that has two teams um, with Melbourne and we'll go to the Stars first. And basically, I'm just going to ask you one question, of Alex, about them. Will they ever win the BBL? <laughs> <laughs> David Hussey will tear all of his hair out trying desperately to to get his team a title. He's obviously been there as a player and now in his third season as a coach. Um, yeah, the, the, the run to the final a couple of years ago, he thought he was very close. And I remember we spoke to him um, in the bowels of the MCG just after that loss to the, the rain-affected loss to the Sixers. And he felt like there was just a couple of tweaks to be made and they could definitely go one step further and then they had a, a pretty much a shocker last year. Just the five wins really didn't play to their potential, had a lot of injury issues. One of the big things with the Stars is they have been one of the teams that's gone really hard at trying to get big name overseas recruits and it's just so hard in the BBL to do that given A, the length of the competition, B, the time that the competition runs in the calendar year up against this T10 league and previously it's been the Bangladesh Premier League. The salary cap, and, and I mean, it sounds strange, but even Australian taxes is an issue for overseas players because the, the monetary value that they can earn uh, here is not as high as what it could be elsewhere. So that leaves them, you know, trying to fill bits and pieces elsewhere. They've signed Joe Burns. They've signed Bo Webster. Um, they, have, they have some pretty good cricketers and they've got some outstanding ones in Stoinis and Maxwell and Zampa, but they seem like they're pretty heavily relying on those guys. And they've got... A big issue this year in, in their two real pace bowlers, in Liam Hatcher and Billy Stanley, both had back injuries. They've got Nathan Coulton Isle there, but um, those two guys going down is going to leave them a little bit exposed, particularly with the MCG wicket having a little bit more pace in it. So, yeah, it's a big ask for the Stars, but uh, Dave Husty's certainly going to give it everything he's got. It certainly does feel, looking at their squad on, on paper, that, yeah, the pace bowling a bit light, particularly with the injuries they have. I just want to throw one question to Gaurav about the Stars, partly because it allowed me to mention again that Marcus Stoinis became Australia's finisher in the World Cup, and I know that gives Gaurav sleepless nights, but Marcus <laughs> Stoinis will be moving back to the top order um, uh, for the Stars. I mean, j- just how good a T20 batter has he developed into? And on a serious point, I mean, it was a very valid talking point around the World Cup, like, why is this guy being made into a number six? Well, they had to do it with somebody and they, they felt he had the game. I mean, and just to have that ability, and we don't know whether it's going to be a long-term success, we probably need to see the next World Cup, but it, it, it must be to Stoinis' credit, Gorab, that he does have, he seems, seems to now have this game that, that can fill positions one to six. Uh, yeah, uh, coming back to the Stoinis troll, I think, yeah, I personally didn't think he uh, had the game. Uh, Yes, uh, there are still some glaring weaknesses in his uh, in the in the way he plays, especially against spin. Uh, but in Australia, that's never going to be a big issue for him. So uh, yes, he has the game to play across uh, all positions, and especially I think the uh, his stint at Delhi Capitals, where he's kind of focused on the finishing role with Ricky Ponting, I think has changed his mindset. And Alex did a great interview with him where he said he wants to be uh, the world's best finisher, and he kind of showed uh, glimpses of it in the World Cup. Uh, I don't think now he's going to play with a lot more free mind, I would think, right? You know, he's kind of achieved what he wanted to achieve and uh, there's no looking back. Now we have to see whether he can take that game to the next level, whether he wants to do impossible things or not, uh, whether he wants to be, if he wants to be like kind of Pollard or MS Dhoni, uh, then uh, he needs to do this time and again and uh, across conditions and across uh, opposition. So, uh, but uh, when he's going to open for the stars, I, I think he's going to play very freely. He has nothing to lose and uh, we just have to see if he's going to have that kind of season he had two years ago. And just looking at how stars are lined up, I think you would want one of these big guys uh, to have such a season if they have to compete. Otherwise, uh, like Alex said, their bowling is a bit thin and uh, you don't want... Uh, uh, the same uh, kind of pattern developing. You need to do something different if you want to compete in these leagues and cannot be very predictable. And I think stars are very, very predictable with the kind of team they have. Uh, Marcus Stoinis and MS Stoney in the same sentence. There's a story we didn't think <laughs> we'd be writing anytime soon. Just before we move on from the stars, it's probably worth saying as well that they do have Adam Zamper, of course, who has just been in spectacular form over the last, uh, well, 
over the last year and a bit, really, but he was outstanding and probably should have been the man of the tournament, I think, at the T20 World Cup. So he may yet be a trump card for them too. Let's move across town um, to the Renegades. And I don't want to scoop Alex, who I know is working on a piece about what the heck do they do after two last place finishes, but we'll just touch on them briefly. Alex, I mean, it, bowling good, batting a bit iffy. Is that a fair assumption of where they sit at the moment? That's what David Saker said to me today. <laughs> yes, that's pretty much it. He knows it. We know it. Um, the attack, they're very, very bullish about the attack they've built. They've been very specific from a lift management perspective in, in picking this attack. And if you look at the pace bowlers, James Pattinson, Kane Richardson, Reese Topley, that's an excellent trio of fast bowlers if they can all stay in the park because they all bring different skills on what is a difficult surface at Marvel Stadium. Docklands under the roof. It, it's been inconsistent in years past and we remember how good they were when they won the title in 2018-19. They did it off the back of their bowling. They've then got Muhammad Nabi, Zahir Khan, Cameron Boyce is back from uh, after missing last year and then they've got the, the all-round ability of Will Sutherland. So they're very bullish about their options with the ball, but their batting is really thin. Um, Aaron Finch is, is still struggling with a knee issue coming out of the World Cup. They're not sure when he's going to play. They're hoping it's going to be early in the tournament, but his priority is longer term for Australia. Sean Marsh is out with a calf injury and he might miss at least the first half of the tournament. It could be longer. They're sort of looking at post-Christmas for him. And then Nick Madison and Marcus Harris. Madison's obviously the new captain. Um, are unavailable at the moment. Harris will be unavailable both for most of the tournament. Madison will miss at least the first three games and should be back after that. So, yeah, a lot a lot of um, questions in their batting, but some opportunities for them. And, and David Saker said, look, the finals isn't out of the equation. It's something they're aiming for, but they're looking to develop more so than anything else. Um, uh, Tristan, and I don't mean to catch you on the hop with this, with this question, but um, just a player I wanted to sort of just ask a bit more specifically about, because I think he's quite an interesting story and Australian cricket right now is Nick Maddinson. Um, and he's, he's obviously got himself into the Australia A setup. Um, some thought he might even have pushed quite hard for the test squad itself um, since his move and his prolific form for Victoria. And I don't know how much close and how close you've watched him over the last few seasons. But I mean, he, he seems to be one of those players who um, has become better after a difficult first introduction to international cricket. And I know there were still some questions perhaps over his play against the short ball, but is feeling like a player who might come again in, in international cricket? Yeah, I mean, he's obviously got the talent and um, he seems like a guy that can could really make a mark in the tournament if he gets going. Um, and perhaps um, with something to look forward to next year, maybe with the, the World Cup here at home, um, we could see the best from him. Um, so I think he's someone that, like a lot of players, they they might struggle for a bit in this format, but then get a bit of confidence, get the tail up, and um, it could work out for them. Um, so I think he's certainly a guy that could um, maybe inspire some from Red Renegades. I'm not very optimistic, to be honest. I think they're going to be down the bottom. Um, but I think they've got some some good young talent as well. I mean, I think I'm really looking forward to maybe um, Fraser McGurk, um, Will Sutherland. I think they're two guys that potentially could get some opportunities with um, you know Finch and, and Marsh sideline for a while so um, there's an opportunity for them to perhaps surprise people even though um, I guess if you're a betting man it's probably probably not likely and I'll stick with you Tristan because the next team I have on my list is the Scorchers and I know we did talk about them a bit at the top of the show because of their fairly unique position but we'll just go into a little bit um, more detail I mean when everybody is available fair to say very strong looking team the decision today to give Alex Carey the wicket-keeping gloves in the test mm-hmm. is good news for the Scorchers, means they'll have Joss English for most of the season, barring care and injury to Carey in this Australia A game next week. Um, and they've got Mitchell Marsh, one of the informed players in the world. I mean, those two, English and Marsh, they they carry a lot of the hopes and expectations of Scorchers this season. Pretty much. I mean, Roy and Livingston were such a key part of the top of the order. Um, the last the last season. So um, since they're gone, it sort of opens up um, a fair bit of a bit of a yeah a bit of a hole at the top of the order. So um, I think basically Mitch Marsh are hoping will be available for for most of it. I mean, who knows what will happen with with him? Um, Cameron Bancroft's a guy that talked. Uh, Ashton Turner yesterday at a press conference um, talked him up as someone who could go up the order 
order. It's sort of been the middle order in the past. Um, but yeah, they're, they're probably pretty happy that Josh Inglis is going to be available, I think, because there would have been um, a lot of burden on Colin Munro, um, who's returning and he's got a bit of a point to prove with uh, being on the outer uh, with New Zealand. So the batting does look a little bit um, short of firepower, um, but the bowling looks looks pretty strong um, on the proviso that uh, obviously with health, um, you know, Jason Berendorf's the guy that's been um, injury prone throughout his career, um, but when he's up and going, he's, he's as good as anyone in T20 cricket. Um, and um, obviously Jai Richardson's probably going to miss a lot of the, the season. So um, getting Mills um, signed up is a pretty, pretty big signing, I think, for the Scorchers. So, um, but yeah, there are some, some worries at the top of the order, I think, with just their firepower. Uh, Gaurav, I'll just bring you in briefly on on the Scorchers here because they do have quite a number of names who have featured international cricket and now more on the fringes. I just want to talk a little bit more about Berendorf and Ty. Probably a bit unfair to say Berendorf has not shown his best international level. He's bowled some terrific white ball spells. Uh, Andrew Ty's always been quite a mercurial T20 cricket in a way. He's picked up a lot of wickets but then can can bowl some spells that go go for a lot of runs. Where do you see those two as sort of T20 bowlers um, in terms of compared to what else is going around Australia at the moment? Especially Jason Berendorf. I think we've seen uh, Ty, we've seen him quite a lot. I think, I don't know if I'll go back to Ty uh, from an Australian uh, point of view, but Jason Berendorf always is going to add value. Uh, We've seen what Mitchell Stark is capable of and early wickets, especially in Australia, as as well as any T20 competition always helps. And uh, when you look at the stats, uh, Jason Berendorf and Jai Richardson uh, have done that quite a lot, uh, which always helps any any franchise, you know. And the fact that if at all you feel that your batting is slightly weak, then that's exactly the kind of skill set you need to make up for that bat, uh, the weak, uh, batting weakness because you need early wickets to make sure that targets are not very steep, which you can manage with your batting. So uh, overall, I like the look of the Scotchers team. I don't see uh, any major area of concern there. Uh, they have some really good uh, uh, T20 specialists, T20 players there, uh, and they have some very informed players as well. So I think... Um, that really bodes well for Scotchers, and Scotchers generally are a very, very consistent team uh, in the Big Bash. So, uh, yeah, the, they're a very, very good uh, finals contender for me. Um, thanks for that, Gaurav. We'll move on to the next side now, which is Adelaide um, Strikers. And I've just written in my notes here that always feels like a team that's there or thereabouts. And I don't know whether that's a, a praise or not. It feels perhaps a little bit of a backhanded compliment. But um, one big absentee they may have um, through the season, again, same the Kawaja debate, is Travis Head. Um, and they're not going to have Alex Carey. So, Alex, does that potentially leave them um, light in, in the top order? It's a massive buy for them, Nasha. Uh, losing not only one of them, but two of them. I mean, they are so important. They were so important in their title victory uh, a number of years ago, particularly the carey Weatherall opening uh, combination. Um, and then Head, we know he's a match winner. I mean, he scored, he scored a double century in a 50-over March Cup game this season. Mm. And it sort of, it was starting to look like he was really pushing his case, not only to get back in the test side, because we've seen his form in Sheffield Shield cricket, but his white ball form in 50-over cricket on top of his record previously in T20 cricket, he was someone who could push his case to be back in the mix in Australia's middle order, um, particularly given he's a left-hander. Australia doesn't have many left-handers, and that is one area that they want to sort of bolster is have more left-handers so that they're not right-hand dominant and expose themselves to, to wrist spin. So, yeah, huge issues. I think it, there, there, there should be an opportunity here for Matthew Renshaw to step up. We saw he made 136 of 100 balls in a... 50-over game. He's at the top of his game at the moment, feeling confident and happy having moved down into the middle order after being an opener for most of his career. He has shown glimpses as a middle order player uh, for both the Heat and the Strikers. Maybe this is his time to really step up and show something. And again, left-handed, powerful, um, just really hard to bowl to. I was talking to Chris Rogers today and he reckons he could be one of the hardest guys to bowl to when he's on in domestic cricket in Australia. So, he is someone who should really step up for the strikers and they are going to need him. But their attack is very good. I was gonna I was gonna come on to the bowlers and I was actually gonna throw a bowling question to, to Gorav because I was just gonna say the name Rashid Khan really. And does that keep any team that has Rashid Khan, does that 
keep them in the mix if they can just get a decent score on the board? Yeah, no, sure, absolutely. And I, I think uh, a lot of teams underestimate the bowling attack of strikers. Siddle has been really good. Con- uh, uh, Wes Agar has been good. Conditions are generally slightly favourable. This attack uh, generally has been very uh, consistent and they don't they don't just give away uh, a large amount of runs. We've seen that time and again. And with Rashid Khan, that uh, that's like literally, like I always say, it's a 16 to 17 over game with him around. So, uh, and he's constantly going to deliver. So, uh, teams have to uh, strategize around Rashid Khan and that kind of messes up with the batting strategies of a lot of teams. So, that is why, uh, like you rightly mentioned uh, at the start of uh, the preview of this particular team, they're always thereabouts. They're always competing. They're never like uh, uh, at the bottom of the table all the time because a good bowler makes a huge, huge difference in uh, T20 cricket, which uh, a lot of teams uh, still don't get. For some reason, they pack their team with six hitters and then they hope that they can win the title and they finish last. So, uh, these are some of the challenges uh, which I think strikers have managed to do very well. And I think, yes, they would miss some uh, key batters, but I think they're a good bowling team. Very uh, People don't rate them very highly, but uh, they slightly slip under the radar, but they're very consistent. So I like the look of strikers always. Um, just one more name while you're there, Gav. It's, it's Farad Ahmed, quite a smart signing. There was a bit of surprise that it took so long for a team to snap him up. Is he still worth his value in T20 leagues? Definitely. And in Australia, especially where spin is not the biggest strength for both the, for, for both batting and bowling for that matter, uh, his kind of bowling style is good. He bowls in the power play. Remember that, that Rashid doesn't bowl much in the power play. So uh, they could use him uh, pretty well uh, uh, to try to plug the holes, uh, which uh, which maybe they feel is a kind of weakness. So uh, it's always good to have that uh, uh, Another skill set, especially uh, in the spin department, because generally in Big Bash, if you're a slightly decent spinner, you generally tend to do very well. Well, we're down to the last two teams in the list. Um, any supporters of either, don't take it personally. Like I say, it's just the order I had them written down. Um, Hobart Hurricanes is the penultimate one uh, we'll talk about. Um, and I'll come to you, Tristan, to start this one off. I'll just read off some names, first of all. Nathan Ellis, Peter Hanscom, Ben McDermott, Riley Meredith, Darcy Short, Matthew Wade. That reads like a very strong T20 side. Yeah, it does. And I'll add another one, Tim David, who I think could be, um, well, I mean, he's sort of already a breakout star, I guess, but I think he could take the next level and become a legit star. And he's someone who, I mean, he's played international cricket for Singapore, of course, um, but he could be headed for Australia um, honours at some point. I think he's really um, shown his abilities in the, in the ladder overs and he could be a, a finisher as well, potential option. Um, so he's someone who's got a great story. A couple of years ago here out West, he was on the outer and looked like his career was over and it got rejuvenated by playing associate cricket with, with Singapore, which is a good, uh, good story for associate cricket. Um, and uh, played a little bit for the Scorchers, but didn't really cement a spot there. And, and he sort of turned around his fortunes at, uh, at Hobart and, and did well in the 100 in the UK. So I think he's someone who could be one of the, a bit of a smoky maybe for, a, you know, in the team of the tournament. So I think the Hurricanes actually are pretty much a uh, playoff lock, I reckon. I think they've got a pretty settled team um, and probably won't lose too many players to, um, you know, international duty. So I'd say they're a, a team that should be, you know, possibly a title contending team. And I was I was going to bring up the point on on their probably their lack of um, impact from international cricket. Alex, I'll just come to you because I know you have a few connections with a a few people around the club. Have you had any vibe about or feel any vibe about whether they think that because of the list they've got together, this might be their time? Uh, they don't want anyone to mention it because they, they don't want anyone to jinx them. I think uh, no credit's <laughs> got to go to the the Hobart Hurricanes. Um, Hierarchy. I mean, Adam Griffith, the coach, uh, has really put all his energy into the Hurricanes. He stepped away from the Tasmania Sheffield Shield job, and that's that's fallen to firstly Jeff Vaughan, and then Ali DeWinter stood in this year. His his main focus. He wanted to be um, the T20 coach of the Hurricanes and build a strong squad with firstly Jamie Cox, who was the list manager, and he's obviously gone to the MCC. Um, but they've done a great job building what is a really really solid team across the board and and 
The top three now is going to be Wade, Short, McDermott. Having Wade and Short back together, we know they're one of the best opening partnerships in the history of the BBL. McDermott's getting better and better. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Harry Brook and Jordan Thompson go. They're specific picks from from the Hurricanes, and they've had tried in the past bringing in guys who are just under the international level or probably under the radar in England. Uh, and the attack's well-balanced. They've got Meredith Ellis Boland when he's available, uh, Lamachani, and then um, Joel Paris. They're probably the only argument maybe like maybe needing an extra spinner. I mean, it's just the spinovers are going to fall to Short and, and Lamachani, but um, it'll be interesting to see how they go. But they've certainly got all bases covered. Move on to the last team, and part of the reason I've left them last, it's Brisbane Heat, is because I kind of never really know where to start with them. And I'm, I'm going to therefore put that hospital pass to Gorav to start with, because through the, 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 they're the sort of team that can be 200 for two one day, um, and then they can be 80 all out in a chase the next. I mean, what do you just make of Brisbane Heat, the T20 side? I used to draw a parallel with uh, uh, the Royal Challengers Bangalore because the kind of stadiums they play in, the venues they play in, very similar, very high-scoring venues uh, on 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 a particular day, and they can kind of go really bad uh, if they're constantly trying to hit out. And like you rightly said, could be a 70-80 all-out. Uh, I always thought that for Brisbane, uh, especially when you're playing in a ground like Brisbane, it's very important to create a team which is very customised to that venue. Uh, that's when you tend to see more success. I don't think they have really nailed that over the years. Suddenly, we saw Manas Labushan being a hero last uh, uh, season. Nobody kind of expected that. Uh, very hard to predict, Nasha, what what we get from Heat. I don't think their squad's um, that uh, very impressive. Yes, they, they do uh, lean upon certain uh, spinners. They've been a very, very good uh, unit, which uh, kind of depends on a few spinners there. But they're batting, you know, it's just uh, you don't know what you're really going to get uh, uh, from, their bat- uh, from their batters. Uh, Chris Lynn, yes. Uh, there, thereabouts again, uh, maybe the odd one big six, and then that's it over. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not too uh, impressed with the heat in general. Their strategies are not um, uh, very customized to that venue. I think, again, they're pretty predictable in the way they go about their things. So, maybe the change of uh, personnel, change of uh, coaching staff, I hear. So, maybe things could. Uh, uh, that, that that could be pretty refreshing and that sometimes changes the way teams play. So uh, yeah, I'm not not looking forward to the, uh, a heat kind of... Uh, I, I wouldn't call them the favourites. Uh, if they make it in the fight, it's a big deal. And uh, worth saying on the point that you make of about the spinners, I guess there's lots going to be resting on how much they see Mitchell Sweps and whether he is kept around the test squad as backup spinner, whether COVID protocols allow for him to be released for the occasional game uh, back to heat and, and link to that and I might throw this one to Alex as well I mean I've and I know it's very different format you really can't compare but I've been very impressed with Matt Kuhneman's bowling in the shield this season I just wonder whether he might be able to fill some of that spin vacancy if, if Swepson isn't available do you do you think him and Mujib Rahman could could form a partnership yeah there's certainly a good combination and the beauty of Mujib is that he's so good in the power play and it means that the second spinner doesn't have to do any heavy lifting on that on that space. So yeah, he's, he's been going to another level, certainly with his red ball bowling this year. And uh, you know, confidence is always going to come from results, isn't it? So um, I think he could, he could bowl really well. And, and it's a good combination having sort of the mystery fingers, right arm finger spinner uh, and the left arm orthodox. It sort of works well together. Uh, those two guys. I'm curious actually to see how Ben Duckett and Tom Abel go. Um, Tom's Abel's had a really good record in, in English uh, T20 vitality blast cricket. Saw a little bit of him playing club cricket in Perth a few years ago. He's a pretty impressive player. I'm interested to see how he goes on the bouncy surface of the Gabba. It is a different style of batting that's required there. Uh, but I, I look forward to seeing him strut his stuff. And I think he has the capability and the temperament to perform at Big Bash level. I think just worth saying as well before we wrap up that I think Jimmy Pearson is becoming a very, very impressive cricketer um, as well. And he, he took on... The burden he performed very well as a as a standing captain last uh, season, and now he has the leadership. And uh, yeah, I think he's a, I think he's taking his game overall to um, the the next level. Um, well, that that's the eight teams done. Just before we wrap up the show completely, I'm going to throw it to each of you, and I'm happy to start first and sort of thing, and, and just pick who we think is going to be the winner, and then we can all look foolish in two months' time when we come and come together to review the tournament. Yeah, out of those eight teams that we've assessed. 
who do we think is going to come out on top? I'll go first and I'm going to go for um, Hobart Hurricanes. I just think they've got a really good squad together. They aren't going to be hit by international call-ups and I fancy them to uh, break their duck this season. So we'll go to Tristan next. Who would be your pick um, for the title? And you can go for the Scorchers if you want. I probably would have picked them if uh, we knew they're going to play at home. But since we don't, I'm not as confident about their chances. Um, I, I know Alex mentioned that it wouldn't be pumped up, but I'm pumping them up along with you, uh, Nasha. Tipping Hobart, I think they're very settled. And um, as I said earlier, I think Tim David could be potentially the player of the tournament if he really gets going. So they're pumping call. them up, pumping call. up yeah, the whole yeah. team. So I'm on the, uh, I'm on the Hurricanes uh, bandwagon. The Hurricanes and Tim David bandwagon is rolling. Um, Alex, um, are you going to join that bandwagon or are you going to go somewhere different? I was on the cane train. I'm thinking now maybe I should jump off it. Uh, just, just to, uh, no, I think if, if, if everyone stays fit from a, a bowling perspective, and we know, you know Meredith and Paris and, um, can, can have their moments, but um, I think their attack's really good. And I, I just think Wade, Short, McDermott at the top of the order, my goodness, teams are going to have a lot of trouble with those three guys. So, I think they'll go very, very close. I, I can't. I, I wouldn't put it past the Sixers going for a three pit though. It's just it, it's such an experienced lineup. Greg Shippard's a genius. Dan Christian's there, as Gore mentioned earlier. So um, between those two for me, but I'll go with the Canes. Oh well, sorry, Hurricanes fans, if you think these things jinx you. Um, it's three from three, and we're now coming to the king of the jinx. It's uh, it's Gorav. Uh, so finally, Gorav, who um, who do you think um, will take the title this season? Uh, should I go with Melbourne Stars? <laughs> I, I, I was just joking there. I think uh, I like the look of Scotchers. I know uh, there might be some uh, availability issues, but I, I just like the look of Scotchers. They generally do well, very consistent. And they also have a lot of players in form. Uh, they have a pretty good lineup there. And uh, uh, yeah, it's the year of Mitchell Marsh. Well, absolutely. And so who'd have thought we've got Marcus Stoyne. This is the superb finisher and it's the year of Mitchell Marsh. And I think a lot of people are needing a lie down now that those two things have come to fruition. Um, but that just about wraps it up for today. Um, a big thank you to Gaurav, Alex and Tristan. hope that's given you all a bit of insight into what's coming up um, over the next uh, few months. Uh, we will bring you as much coverage of it as we can in between uh, this minor thing called the ashes that rumbles along at the same time. But as ever, um, it should be a lot of fun. Um, let's not take it too seriously. It's great entertainment to watch um, in that prime time window in an evening. So let's see what pans out over the next two months and who is holding that trophy aloft and whether it is a, a famous hat trick for the Sixers in a couple of months' time. But for now, from myself, uh, Nasha, from Tristan, Alex and Gorav, it's goodbye. And thanks for listening to us on ESPNCookInfo.com.